0: This is the Marriage Bites Podcast, Episode 31, Disrupting the Status Quo.
1: (laughs) This is a bit unprecedented to doing the podcast this early. It's not even 8.30 and usually we do it later in the day.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to Daylight Savings, our toddler sleeps in like crazy hours now. So we have a little bit of time this morning where he's sleeping He might interrupt us at some point.
1: That's why I feel so tired this morning. I'm not a fan of daylight savings.
0: Who is?
1: I actually heard uh, there's some studies that show that people, it takes them a week or two to actually... um,
0: Acclimate? Acclimate
1: to it. Mm Mm-hmm. I just got a text message.
0: That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, the daylight savings part, not the text message part.
1: Oh, I have to respond to this.
0: Okay, go ahead. There. Done.
1: (laughs) I have a... Co worker who's looking for a certain item for me.
0: All right. We're talking about daylight savings. We're talking about the toddler slipping in, being tired. Yeah, everyone's complaining about daylight savings this week. And I don't blame them. Yeah. Why we just don't get rid of it? Everybody says, why do we still do this? Why don't we just get rid of it? And nobody knows the answer.
1: <laughs> well, I've heard there's some things with the environment and electrical consumption. And I think it's all a bunch of bunk because you're going to burn the same amount of electricity during time you're awake than not i don't know i i don't think it does anything and i think arizona is the only state that's really got it figured out because they don't do can't we
0: all just be a little bit more like arizona
1: i know (laughs) except not as hot
0: oh yeah
1: and there's a lot of cactus there too so we don't want so many cactuses a few cacti but not a lot
0: we have cactus here
1: we do actually but they're little
0: Yeah, we don't have the big ones. The
1: big, what are they, what are those big ones called? I have no idea. Aren't they called Sonora or Sonoran, or is it, I know that's a desert, but I thought they were something like that.
0: I don't know. That is something I would have to Google.
1: Once I saw it, I would know it.
0: Okay, so let's talk about disrupting the status quo.
1: What does that mean?
0: It means anytime you're in a relationship with somebody, basically you both have the way things are done, quote unquote. This is the way we operate, When I do this, I expect you to do that thing. It's not usually said out loud, but it's the little patterns that you guys have. Maybe it's the same conversation that goes the same way every time. Here's an example. When you had shoulder surgery, you couldn't drive because of the medications you were taking.
1: That's HIPAA information you just disclosed. No, I'm just teasing. It's okay. I don't care. (sighs)
0: So you had surgery. And so I had to drive you to your physical therapy appointments and I had to drive you everywhere. Well, me driving and you being the passenger was not the way we did things you were always the one who drove and i was always the one who was the passenger and we were both pretty comfortable with that so here i am now driving you around and a little bit nervous because sometimes no offense but you're a backseat driver sometimes and you're kind of critical of the way other people drive sometimes or you were not so much anymore so i was kind of nervous to be the driver even though you were hopped up on medication It was really cool. (laughs) So, but that was an example. We didn't necessarily choose to do it that way. But because of that experience, I got comfortable driving with you in the passenger seat. And now I don't care. Now I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll drive. You drive. Sometimes you're like, oh, the seat is set for you. That's
1: really interesting because I've noticed that you used to be really, um, I guess, freaked out driving me around. Mm -hmm. Which I'm like, why are you freaked out? I'm yelling at the other cars most of the time. And yeah, and I've noticed over the last few years that you've been totally cool and like you don't seem nervous. That must have been the thing that changed. Mhm. I didn't know that.
0: Well, I just you had
1: uh, not a not a brain fart, epiphany? the opposite, yeah, epiphany. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Continue. S- I thought mm-hmm. we had a discussion about this before. So, interesting. Anyway, so now because that pattern has been disrupted, things are different. I don't mind driving like I used to. And honestly, I don't know if you were as comfortable with me driving. I don't know if you trusted my driving skills as much, which I'm a good driver, by the way. So pattern interruption. Status quo is the way it's done. It used to be you would drive and I would only drive if you were somewhere else and not coming with me. And now either one of us drives. I will take a turn on long trips if you want me to. And... That kind of thing. So that status quo was disrupted. It wasn't necessarily something that we chose to do. It was kind of put upon us by the surgery that you had. But either way, whether it's something that you guys notice, this is a pattern and I don't like it, let's figure out how to change it. Or if just one spouse notices a pattern, talks to the other, the other doesn't really get it, that's okay. The other spouse doesn't have to understand what you're talking about. You yourself can change the way that you react In those situations, and it disrupts the pattern. It disrupts the status quo. The other partner isn't always happy about it, but that's just the way life is.
1: I can think of two great examples of the status quo in a lot of families in America. I'm not saying this is every family in America, but um, dishes and laundry. A lot of times the wife or the female in the home is the one who's doing those things. And that's the status quo, and that goes on for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's everybody's job to do those things. It's not just the wife's job. And so I think it's important for the wife to speak up for herself and say, Hey, why am I always doing the dishes? You're sitting on your butt eating a sandwich. Uh, Why don't you get off your butt and come over here and help? Because it's not fair for me to do all this. Or help fold the clothes. And
0: You may want to say it differently than that. Maybe it won't go over well if you're like, Hey, get over here and get off your butt. But, yes, I see the point that you're saying, speak up for yourself. Set a boundary.
1: Yeah, I probably don't want to say it that way. Say it in a nicer way. Yeah. Like, no, I probably should. My filter just caught something. Okay. Now I feel like I want to say it because my filter caught it.
0: Well, if it's horrible, I'll take it out.
1: Well, I was going to say, you as the wife, if I'm just sitting on my butt eating my sandwich, you know, watching TV, and you want some help folding the clothes, you know, if you came to me and said, hey, honey... You want to come help me fold clothes? I'd be like, that yes, is... ma'am, let me get off my rear end. And then you're going to be
0: disappointed when you actually have to fold clothes. Yeah, and then you'll be, you'll be
1: like, honey, you don't have to take off your clothes to do the folding either. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll see if that gets edited.
0: I guess we'll see. Now I totally lost my train of thought what we we're talking about. Now let's talk a little bit about why this is so hard for people to disrupt the status quo of their relationship. I have a theory. I don't have scientific studies to back this up, but my theory is that it's really scary and hard for people to disrupt the status quo because there's a part of their brain, there's a part of their subconscious thinking that is afraid that if you do that, your partner will leave you. And if your partner leaves you, you'll die. That's Mm. maybe not exactly what you're thinking, but there's a part of your brain that sees that as unsafe. And in order to act differently, in order to change things, you have to override the part of your nervous system that is afraid, that is worried, that thinks that something bad will happen if you make a change in your life. So it's because your limbic brain is afraid you might die. So it does whatever it can to stop you from changing anything or rocking the boat. And since the main goal of your limbic brain is to keep you safe, familiarity equals safety. So change... Equals not safe. And so it w- does everything that it can to keep the status quo. Does that make sense?
1: It does. I think if you're the person who is, like, if let's say you are seeing that the status quo needs to be interrupted, looking at it from the other side where you're saying, hey, this needs to change, status quo isn't working for me or for us, um, sometimes that person who's being asked to change, it's not easy to do because, um, Well, they might feel threatened, but also they might be very comfortable in that position they Mm -hmm. are in. Yeah. And when we're in a state of comfort, we don't want that to change. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very... uh, It's an immaturity. And Mm -hmm. immaturities are sometimes hard to get out of.
0: Well, it's basically letting your limbic brain be the driver rather than your thinking brain, your rational part of your brain, do the decision-making. Right. And when, for example, if I want something to be changed... I'm personally going to have some maybe feelings of anxiety or fear about presenting it to you.
1: Oh, because of the rejection that may come or the fight or well, whatever yeah. it might be. Well, yeah,
0: it's because I'm afraid of change. So there's like the feelings that I know I'm going to feel. Then there's also the feelings that I'm anticipating you are going to feel. So and I, if I take responsibility for your emotions, I know I'm going to feel some upset. It's going to be hard for me. I also know it's going to be hard for you. And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't want to cause problems with my husband because then he might leave me.
1: Going even further to that is that there's cultural norms out there. And a lot of times the status quo, we're following cultural norms, mm-hmm. things that we've been taught. And this is how we do things. And these are the roles that we have to play, especially in in our situation, though we were taught a lot of roles. Mm-hmm. And now that challenging that status quo is flying the face of what we've been taught and what, how we're supposed to live. and other people who are living that way see that and they they say, whoa, why are they not living as they should? Mm-hmm. Because they must be doing something wrong. Mm. They're an outlier now. So there can be some social pressures to not change the status quo.
0: That is a really good point. So here is the person sitting here going, I don't like this, but is it worth it to speak up? Because I'm going to feel bad. I might judge myself. My spouse might feel bad, might judge me. And then other people might see what's happening, and then also other people might have some uncomfortable emotions or might have some judgments against that thing. So you have yourself, and then you have your spouse, and then you have other people, and that's a lot going against you. You have to have a lot of, I guess, energy behind your desire to change because there's a lot of pressure to stay the same.
1: Right. I can think of an example of a family who's, whose husband stays home with the kids, and mm-hmm. the wife goes out and makes the money. And that, that seems to be something that's changing from the status quo. But that's still somewhat of a taboo in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in our culture. I'm talking about the LDS culture. It's a bit like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the whole country culture of the United States leans toward that way too. If a man is home with the kids, there's a lot of judgments people put on him for that.
1: Yeah, or another example is male nurses. Mm -hmm. It used to never be a thing. It's becoming more of a thing, but even still, that field is dominated by women.
0: Well, when you think nurse, most people think woman. Not a lot of people, unless you are a male nurse. I mean, even the term male nurse. I know, why
1: don't we call them female nurse?
0: (laughs) The fact that we have to um, differentiate differentiate it at all, like, says it all.
1: Right. I think of the movie, uh, what is it, uh, Meet the Parents. Mm -hmm. It's, uh... Uh, ben Stiller and, uh, I forget the other guy. Anyway, mm-hmm. Ben Stiller plays a male nurse. He's That's his job and he gets mocked for it. He gets teased, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. while everyone else is a doctor, works in the CIA. He's a male nurse and he's kind of ostracized, ostracized, ostracized. How do you say that word?
0: Ostracized.
1: Ostracized. There you go. I just had to hear it. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Brain is still trying to... I've got a 70s-era brain. And you need it's, to it's totally breee. stop saying that. <laughs> it, I have. I actually have two 5.5-inch floppy drives that I, you know, I use.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of is that really what you want to do for your career? Right. Or not have a career. And however a couple works out how they're going to support themselves, it doesn't matter. I mean, do we care how they do that as long as it's legal? <laughs> right,
1: and I think that's the big thing is is we have in our mind that we have to be a certain way and we have to live a certain way as a couple. And really, it doesn't really matter how you live as a couple as long as you're working together and doing things that work for you, the both of you. Mm-hmm. Throw all the cultural norms out, throw all the things that we are feel like we are expected to live by. If it's working for you guys and you're both happy with it, then finally, I mean, going back to the dishes and the, the laundry If it's working for you, for the both of you that one of you does the dishes and the laundry and you're both happy with it, then go for it. Mm -hmm. If you're not, challenge it.
0: Yeah. I hear from a lot more women than I hear from men. So that's why this is framed this way, but I'm not saying it doesn't happen on both sides. What I hear is women saying, I don't know if I can stay in this marriage. It's so bad. I just don't know what to do. Like, I love my husband, but this is just, unbearable, I can't go on this way. And often people will wait till they're on the brink of I can't handle it anymore before they speak up and say, I don't like this. And sometimes their spouse doesn't even know that they're having a problem with that thing. I think what explains why we wait till it gets to that point is because of what I spoke of earlier where I'm worried about my emotions, I'm worried about my husband's emotions, my parents might judge me, other people in my community might criticize me for speaking up or doing it differently or whatever. People are generally uncomfortable with change because of the limbic brain. And it's working in order to try to keep you safe, but it also works against you because sometimes it keeps you stuck in patterns far longer than is necessary or good for anybody. But I think that explains why people get to the breaking point of Before they're like, wait, I don't have to live this way. I can set boundaries. I can ask my spouse for something different. And I can handle their emotions and other people's emotions and their criticism. Because if I don't do this, I'll die. It's like if it's almost like it's like that Shel Silverstein poem where do you remember that one? I don't know it. If I have one more piece of pie, I'll die. If I do not have one more piece of pie, I'll die. I guess I'll have one more piece of bye. Goodbye.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: And so it's like the discomfort of staying the same has to be greater than the perceived discomfort of changing. For a lot of people, it takes a lot. It takes a lot for the current level of discomfort to be above the level of discomfort that it would take to be able to tolerate changing. Hopefully that makes sense.
1: I think it does. I think uh, talking about this... And we've been talking about the limbic brain off and on for months now.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think maybe there should be a surgical procedure just to remove the limbic brain.
0: You would actually die if you did that. You'd have (laughs) no brain stem. You would have no hormone system.
1: Can't they just fix it? I
0: mean, yes. That's what I'm here for.
1: No, could the doctors (laughs) just fix it? No,
0: doctors can't fix it, but life coaches can. I see. It's not a physical problem. It's a mental, emotional issue that if you are aware of it and you understand what's actually going on, you can create safety for yourself. We think safety comes from other people. It comes from my husband saying nice things about me or it comes from the validation that I get from my mother-in-law or my boss or whatever, my kids even. Sometimes people go to their kids for validation and we can talk about that another time. But you can create your own safety and Honestly, your limbic brain will respond to what you're thinking. So if you're thinking, my husband's going to be so mad at me, or something like that, of course it's going to freak out. But if you're like, I can handle this, I can do this, I deserve to have the thing that I'm asking for, those things will calm down your limbic brain enough that you can tolerate whatever reactions the people around you might have. That's what I do, basically, is help people kind of see these problems and work through it, and then to be able to move forward on what is in alignment with themselves rather than people-pleasing, essentially. And so, yes, you can't remove your limbic brain to solve this problem, but there is help. There are definitely things that you can do. Well, think about meditation. Meditation is growing in popularity like crazy right now, and other mindfulness techniques. This is why, because it calms down your parasympathetic nervous system so that then you can live your life the way you want to, rather than be at the mercy of other people's emotions or situations that are outside of your control.
1: All that makes me think of Vulcans, Star hmm. Trek. Okay. They're they detached from their limbic brain.
0: Well, they try to.
1: Well, they, they do. They know how to control it.
0: They know mm-hmm. how to,
1: to deal with all those emotions, and they suppress them. Because we all feel things, and so do Vulcans, but they suppress it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Brought some sci-fi into this, uh, whatever you call it.
0: Episode. Yeah. I think that it's really interesting. Star Trek, the Vulcans in particular, they do try to suppress their emotions. But there are a few episodes where they talk about the emotions of a Vulcan. But think about Vulcans. They don't really feel love. They don't really feel annoyed.
1: They, they, they do, but they suppress it.
0: They don't admit to feeling annoyed. If you are getting rid of all the negative emotions, then you're also getting rid of all the positive emotions. They don't feel love. They don't feel joy. They don't feel like pleasure and happiness either.
1: Except during pomfar.
0: That would be... Once
1: every seven years, heck of a dry spell.
0: <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to give up all the negative emotions because if I did, I would have to give up all the positive ones too. And I would rather take all the uncomfortable things that come along with it because the beautiful parts of life would also be gone if you got rid of all of the negative stuff.
1: So when you're in a relationship and things aren't going the way you want them to go, what do you do?
0: I think an important part of it is to get really clear on why you want what you want. Be sure that you're not coming from a place of I want my spouse to be different so I can be happy. And instead, making sure that whatever you're asking for really is because you feel it is right for you. Because otherwise you're just doing control in a different way. Um, And that's actually really common. And it's okay that if you're like being the people pleaser and then you jump to be the controller and then you're sort of back and forth between the people pleaser and then the, the one who wants to be in control... And eventually you find the middle where you have the right motivation behind the thing. So when I say going from people pleaser to going to being controlling, honestly, I think that's sort of part of the process of figuring out where your motivations lie. Um, But really checking yourself, saying, am I doing this because I think he is making me unhappy and changing will make me more happy? Or am I doing it because I really believe that two partners should both do the dishes together or whatever it is. And we do get our motivations mixed up because of that limbic brain that wants to come in and say, wait, hold on, because it gets really, really nervous when we try to make things be different. So first getting really clear on your own reason why you want the change to be made. And then I think you can think about what your spouse might feel Or what they might think about this thing. You know, what might their objections be? What might be their fears coming up about this? And to find compassion for that and say, listen, I know this is hard because I know change is hard for everybody. And then getting to a place where you know you can tolerate whatever they might bring.
1: Well, and I like the idea of having compassion because if you're trying to break the status quo, it's likely something that's been Mm co-created. And your spouse might have pushback to it
0: mm-hmm. they probably will they probably Usually will they do
1: and the thing to remember is that hey i was part of this and to bring that up during that conversation whenever it happens with your spouse
0: mm-hmm.
1: not just saying hey things aren't going the way that they should be going in my mind and you need to do all the change mm-hmm. you know isn't really helpful and so making sure that everybody understands this is co-created
0: mm-hmm. and
1: now I'd like I would like to see a change.
0: And when you're coming with compassion for yourself and compassion for your spouse, you can come in a collaborative way rather than a controlling way or a people-pleasing way.
1: Right, because those aren't very healthy. Right. And those aren't very helpful.
0: Right. And so when you're collaborating, your spouse gets a say. They get a chance to you know, calm their nervous system down, for example. Um, if I'm coming to you already activated, already like anxious, then I'm going to have an effect on your emotions just because of that. Not that I'm causing your emotions. Yes, but your
1: anxious energy will transfer
0: <laughs> over to
1: the other person.
0: Yeah. Kind which of then
1: makes them go wonky.
0: Yes. Thank you for the sound effects. That's perfect. That's what I do. So because of mirror neurons, it's more likely for your spouse to be able to be calm as well when you're coming to a conversation that which you expect might be hard. If you're able to stay calm and create safety for yourself, no matter what anybody else says or thinks or does, you're able to create a situation where the two of you can collaborate on how you want it to be done rather than you, again, controlling and telling them you have to do this and this has to be this way because your spouse obviously is going to have a say as well. And when you can come together and figure out how to make it work for both of you together, that's the ideal. And you understand your why and they understand their why and You figure out how to make it work for everybody. But if you can get to the middle where it works for everybody, then that's the goal. One thing I touched on earlier, but I want to kind of talk about a little bit more in depth is when your spouse isn't on board. For example, if I'm the one doing all the dishes and all the laundry and I'm working my fingers to the bone um, and I'm upset with how things are going. What if my spouse is not on board? What if he's like, dishes is your job totally.
1: Or what if he brings up things since you're bringing up how you want things to change? What if he wants things
0: to change? Or if he's like, well, then you need to mow the grass every other week. Yeah. What Mm -hmm. if he
1: says, well, I work all week long and it's time for you to get a job. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, oh crap, that just went the way you didn't want it to go.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so
1: you're right. What do you do?
0: The thing is, if there is an unhealthy dynamic in a relationship, it is always co-created. It is always from both people reacting to each other in a certain way. When one of the couple, or in any relationship, this is like work relationships, family relationships, kids, well, kids is a little bit different, but anytime there's two people in a relationship and they have a certain dynamic, a certain way that they re-interact with each other, when one person disrupts the status quo, it will always change the pattern in the relationship. For example, if one spouse comes to the other and then says something accusatory and then the other person yells back and it's basically that conversation that you have over and over and over. If you're able to stay with yourself and react differently, then your spouse has no choice but to also react differently. That breaks the status quo. It breaks the pattern that you've been in. Now, what I found for me anyway is that the pull to go back to the old patterns is very strong. Your limbic brain is very strong. It's very influential and it's very stubborn. And it doesn't want to do the new thing because the new thing was scary last time. And it's it's going to be scary again. Yeah, right? And so there is a strong pull to maybe next time go back to the old ways. And sometimes we do, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, oh crap, here we are again in that same pattern. That doesn't mean anything has gone wrong. But recognizing that and deciding, do I really want this new thing enough to be willing to tolerate what it takes in order to create a new pattern, a new neural pathway between myself, a new way of being between myself and my spouse? Can I stay with myself? Can I create enough safety for myself to be able to change this pattern? Because one person is all it takes. Even if your spouse is not on board, If you change the way that you are coming to the relationship, sometimes that's setting a boundary. Sometimes that's just not being reactive in the way that you used to in a conversation setting. Um, However that looks for your individual relationship, you really can create a lot of change if you want to, whether or not the other person is on board. It's nice if they both are, because then you're sort of both working together.
1: That's ideal.
0: Yeah, ideal. But it's not always the case. And you can't make your spouse want to be different, want to change, want to do the dishes. But you can create a different pattern. But it's not easy. Thanks for listening today. Hope this was helpful to you and got some little bite of wisdom that you can take back to your relationships to help improve your life and improve theirs too.
1: Yeah, we hope you're enjoying the podcast and because we enjoy making it
0: hmm We really do.
1: It's a good time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, until next time, have a super-duper week, and have a great marriage. Bye. Bye! Thanks for listening to the Marriage Bites Podcast.
0: Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the fun.
1: Let us know what you took away from this episode by sending us an email at info at
0: You can also see what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Andalyn Price Coaching. Or you can visit my website, andalynprice.com, to learn more. See you next week. Bye! Bye.
1: Test run, test run. Mm -hmm. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 that'll be good enough for a test
0: (laughs) yes now you can talk you can talk at any time i'm not stopping you
1: even when you're talking
0: you do it all the time about
1: a topic that's not even
0: um let me
1: see i'm feeling more tired as we talk
0: i'm boring you to sleep (laughs) that's the way i roll